you would, uh, open your Bibles to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My boy Samuel, who just turned 8, one of the things that we like to do is we like to look at cars. And uh, one of his favorite cars is a Ford Mustang. He likes those. He dreams about them. I've actually been trying to work on him to take a better liking to trucks and uh, getting one of those trucks. But he likes the Ford Mustang. And, um, and, uh, but imagine with me that someday on Samuel's birthday that I actually go out and uh, I purchase Samuel a Ford Mustang, okay? I'm not saying I will, okay? I'm saying imagine with me. It's probably not going to happen. So you can tell Samuel that. But imagine I do. And I say, Samuel, look, if, uh, if you believe in me, if you trust me, I will, I will give you this Ford Mustang for you to drive with this powerful engine in it. Knowing my boy, he will say, yes, I believe you, Dad. I will take that Ford Mustang. And so I give him that Ford Mustang, but say you and I are out someday, we're walking along the street, and lo and behold, we see this sight of this Ford Mustang, but as we look at it, we see uh, the door open and we see a boy out here to the side with one hand on the steering wheel and he's pushing the Ford Mustang down the road. Maybe it's Hewitt Drive. And you might go by and say, what's wrong with that boy? And I would go along and I'd say, Samuel, don't you know? Uh, I would ask him first, Samuel, is the car broken? No. Well, what, don't you know that the, the car has an engine in it? And there's gas in it that if you push the pedal, you're to propel it, and it will drive. You just got to get in it and push the pedal. More than that, I would probably do what I do sometimes as, as a little boy. I've, I've taken him out here in the park, and I said, Samuel, get in, because he wants to drive the car. And I'll say, all right, you sit in your lap, put your hands on the wheels. As a matter of fact, let me show you how to start the ignition, and I'll push the gas because he can't reach the pedals yet. And I will steer him around, and uh, he, I will let him drive on his own, but... There are light posts out there. I don't want him to hit them. And so I would steer him some, and, and we would make his way ar- around. And I would give him instructions of how to drive the car. And he said, what, what, where are you going with that? I'm going with this. Is there are many of us who in our Christian lives, we've come and we receive the gift of salvation that God has given us. We take that by faith. But the reality is, when we go about living the Christian life, we're much like Samuel would be pushing the car around. Trying to push in our strength with one hand in steering. That's how many of us live the Christian life, as we seek to do it that way. When instead, what Christ is saying is, hey, I want you to get in. I want you to follow my instructions and allow the engine that I put into this and the gas that goes with it to propel you through the Christian life. Matter of fact, I think... It's been a struggle in my life that one of the biggest struggles in the Christian life is the thought that, yes, I come to faith by Jesus Christ and Christ alone, but that when it comes to living this Christian life, it's about me pushing my way through the Christian life. And that's not true. The reality is that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were called to seek the Christian life by realizing that Christ lives in you and lie living in faith and dependence upon the Holy Spirit that He's given you to live out the Christian life, the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. 
that you're to depend upon the engine that yours put on Christ's life in you and the gas, the power of the Holy Spirit to propel you through the Christian life. As I began to think about what I wanted to share with you as my last opportunity to speak with you as the associate pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, I feel like some of the best encouragement I could ever give you, if I could give you instruction on how you could deal with a boss who was just a thorn in your side or an employee who just bothered you or how would you deal better with a a child who just would drive you to anger sometimes or how could you better manage and work through your marriage when things were difficult and the answer is this it is to realize Christ lives in you and to seek dependence upon your Holy Spirit to manage those different situations it's the best counsel I could ever give you and part with you is that there's two passages that I want to share with you today, one of my favorites. First was in Galatians 2.20, you can turn there, and the other is Galatians 5.16-23, through 23, or 25. I'm going to share these from you. The first one is in Galatians, it's where it says, For I have been crucified in Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, And he gave himself for me. It's a powerful passage, folks. A powerful passage to to come to grips and to realize and apply to your life. Paul is saying, I have been crucified in Christ. What Paul is facing is, is Paul is writing to a people in Galatia, which is in the middle of their central Turkey. And what he's facing in this church is that there's a group of people called the Judaizers who are saying, not only do you need to put faith in Christ, but you need to go back to the law to be justified. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no, that is not the gospel at all. And then some will say, well, okay, maybe it's, it's about Jesus Christ, but you need the law in order to live out the Christian life. And Paul says, no, it's not that there isn't truths of the law that we follow but he says no that's not it so in verse 19 he says this he says for through the law i died to the law so that i might live to god in essence what he's saying in that verse is he's saying look here's what the law does the law just shows me that i am a sinner in need of a savior so i have died to the law because i've realized i'm a sinner That is, the law could never save you. The law could never bring salvation, nor could it bring sanctification. That is, the law, and the reason that there was all these sacrifices in the Old Testament, because it just kept pointing to you that one must die in your place. And Paul's saying, that one is Christ. And because since I have put my faith in Christ, I have died to the law, and now I live to Christ. I live to God, not to the law. And then he goes on and he says, For I have been crucified with Christ. That is, how did this come to be? It came to be that through faith in Jesus Christ, that God God now renders Paul as identified with Christ. That is, when Christ died on the cross, Paul was identified with him. Therefore, because Christ was crucified on the cross, Paul was crucified on the cross. And because Christ died in his place, that Paul had died to the sins, and because Christ rose from the grave, Paul rose from the grave, and he is now alive to God. 
spiritually. He says, I have been crucified in Christ, and I no longer live. And then he goes on to say, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is, Christ spiritually resides in Christ. There's a new union with Christ, and he has a new identity. It's Christ's life in me. It's not Paul's life in endeavoring to save himself, nor Paul's life to endeavor to live out this Christian life. In the Minneapolis Star Tribune, the author writes this story about a three-year-old Katie, a young lady, who was taken to the pediatrician during a recent bout with the flu. As the doctor examined her ears, he, he asked this question. He says, will I find Big Bird in here? Apprehensively, Katie replied, no. Then before examining the throat, he asked, well, will I find the cookie monster in here? She looked at him like, you're a weirdo, no. Finally, listening to her heart, he asked, why find Barney in here? And with very innocent conviction, she looked at him directly in the eye and said, no. Jesus is in my heart and Barney's on my underwear. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying to you, all right? It doesn't matter what's on your underwear. What matters is who is in your heart. That is, as you come to a place when you realize you're a sinner and receive the salvation of the crucifixion that is in Jesus Christ. Because I don't know what, that doesn't matter what's written on the outside. What matters is if you come to a place when you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and He's taken up residence in you. Because without that, without Christ in your life, you cannot hope to live out the Christian life. You can't do it can't do it by keeping a set of rules. You can't keep, do it by living out according to the law or hoping your good works outweigh, or outweigh your bad works. It doesn't do anything for you. You must be crucified in Christ. And the life of Christ must reside in you. And that's who becomes your identity. What it says here, I've been crucified in Christ and I no longer live. In essence, what he's saying is, look, It's not about me. That's something we don't understand. Christ doesn't just save us to come and so that Matt can continue to live his own life that he wants to live, his own selfish life. But Christ comes as he comes to save you, take up a residence in you, so it's not about your life any longer, but it's about his life in us. And then he says, well, how do I live out this life? Well, look at the rest of verse 20. And the life which I live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In essence, it's not about getting alongside the new car and and trying to push your way through the life. It's Again, it's not about keeping a list of do's and don'ts or those things that we should and shouldn't do in the Christian life. But it's about coming along realizing Christ lives in me and that I am trusting and I'm depending upon him to enable me to live out this Christian life through me. It's about his life. You say, well, how do, I, how do I do that? What does it practically look like? Well, I want you to turn over to, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I'm positionally in Christ, but how, do, how does Christ live out his life through me? How does he live the Christian life through me? How, how is that done? Well, look at verse 16. It says this, But why say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Look what it says there. I walk by the Spirit. And you've got to notice first that we have a command here and we have a promise. There's a command that he gives, walk by the Spirit, and in the promise, you shall not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's a command. It's not an option. He's, he's commanding you as, as believers to depend upon no one else to live the Christian life but himself, his, his Holy Spirit in you. And then he gives this promise. Notice it doesn't say, and you might not carry out the things of the flesh. Or hopefully you will not carry out the things of the flesh. Now, what does it say there? Look at the text again. It says, you will not, very emphatic, you will not carry out the, the desires of the flesh. Sometimes people will come and, I, and I'll be talking and counseling with them and they'll say, you know, I just can't stop it. I can't stop this sin. I can't stop this habit in there. And I will stop them right there and i say, you know what? You're right. You can't. But someone in you, the presence of the Holy Spirit, can enable you to stop living in the flesh. Or some people will come to me with their marriages, and I've seen many of them. They'll come and say, you know what? Uh, this marriage is a mess. It's not going to ever change. And I will tell them, you know what? You cannot change but the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. can change the way that you respond in the midst of the marriage. Even if your spouse will not change, he can change you and empower you to deal with with the spouse that God has given you. But what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? So there's a promise here, but what does it mean? Well, the, the walk is a present tense verb, a present tense verb, and literally can be translated to keep walking by the Spirit. Keep walking by the Spirit. Now, that, that little preposition there, by, is important because it denotes uh, that uh, the, the word dependence, and it carries the idea of by the means of, that you're to walk by the means, you're to continually be walking by the means of the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand. I've gone through uh, quite a few uh, airports in my life. And many times I've gone through the airport, particularly when you have to go from one terminal to the next. I hate that, all right? I hate when you have to do that especially when you have to carry extra baggage on your back. And usually this comes, happens when I have to travel overseas or something. But I have extra baggage on my back, and I'm, I'm trying to huff and I'm puffing to the other terminal. But many times as I've been going through the terminal, I, I kind of glance over to my right or my left, and I begin to look, and I see these people who are walking, but they're putting half the effort that I'm putting on, and they're carrying baggages with them. And then I just kind of stop, and I say, what's going on? And what I began to see is that they're on one of these walkie things, you know, those moving sidewalks. That they're carrying bags just as I am, but they're not sweating. All right? They're not straining. They're just kind of moving along. And so then I wise up and say, hey, I like those things. A lot of times I, I just run over there, get on it. I'm still carrying my bags, but all of a sudden it gets a lot easier than it was before. I'm still walking, I'm still taking steps, but all the way, the sidewalk is moving me along. Sometimes I get so cocky, I turn around and I just start doing this with it. I wave at the kids, they love it when I do it, and I run past them. You ever do that, guys? You just want to embarrass your children? I love to get on the walk sidewalks in the airport and just start walking real fast like this, and they hate it. I say this because just like that sidewalk makes it easier to carry the stuff that we have in our life, 
When we walk by the means of the Holy Spirit, we still, still take steps. We still have to carry weight. But as we take those steps, the Holy Spirit begins to carry us along and move us and empower us to carry the loads and do the things that He's calling us to do. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. It means to depend upon Him to carry us along. And we're supposed to do this in daily dependence. That is, we are to walk moment by moment, daily in dependence upon Him. Now some of you will say, well, what? You, you mean I'm really supposed to think about walking by the Spirit throughout the day and all the time in dependence upon Him? Yes. Matter of fact, how many of you uh, have with you one of these devices, a, a smartphone? Come on, engage with me. Raise your hand, all right? Some of you are lying and not raise your hands because you don't like to raise Right? Some of you don't want to raise hands because I asked you to. But how many of you got these? I was at a uh, Thanksgiving meal uh, this past week, and I went and walked into uh, the living room where everyone was there, and the TV's on, and I look around, and there's like five other people. And with the TV on, everybody has one of these or an iPad. And matter of fact, some of you, you become so dependent upon these, your, your world is messed up if you cannot find your, your cellular phone. Am I right? Come on, you all start panicking, getting worried. Did one of the kids steal my phone? Did they take that? Here's my point. If you can be so dependent upon a cellular phone, a smartphone, that it consumes your life, that you're worried if it's not with you, don't you think you could be consumed with being dependent upon the Holy Spirit throughout your day? I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit is much more powerful than any smartphone Apple can come up with. There's no smartphone that can change and transform your life. There's no smartphone that can empower you to deal with difficult people. There's no smartphone that can empower you to love your wife with a Christ-like love. But the Holy Spirit can. And you and I, we must walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit throughout our day. Matter of fact, I would suggest this to you. On your screensaver on your phone, that you put Galatians 5.16 on there. But every time you look at this phone and dependence upon it, you might say, hey, there's one I need to be much more dependent upon, and that's by the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, what about this thing called the flesh? Sort of walk by the Spirit so we might not carry out the desires of the flesh. What is this flesh? I mean, is this flesh... You know, is it, is it just this fatty part on my body? Is it the muscle on my body? Well, in some contexts of the Bible, that's what it means. But here it's in a context that it refers to that part of us, that part of ourselves that has yet to be redeemed. It's that part of us that will be redeemed when we receive glorified bodies. It's that, that capacity in us that still remembers how to sin and still tries to operate independent of God. It's that, it's that what is often called that default mode of us. It is, the reality is, I've come to Christ, but I have not forgotten how to sin. And it's that part of us, when we are not walking in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, that by default we fall back to the things of the flesh. That's what it is. Another way to illustrate it might be like this. It's, it's kind of like a, a virus on a hardware of our computer. It's kind of a virus that it can't be fully fixed until the computer is completely overhauled. Yet we have been given on this hardware or on this computer, we've been given a new operating system. 
a new operating system that warns us through the things of the virus, the, the new operating system that guides us through of how to operate and gives us the power to how, to how to operate even despite that the virus is there. And the reality is you and I, who have been crucified in Christ, we have been given a new operating system, and that's the Holy Spirit. That is, you and I have an operating system of the Holy Spirit that when the flesh rises up, the Holy Spirit will convict us, He'll show us, He'll empower us and direct us in the way that we should go and how we should operate in our Christian life. That's ours in Christ. The question is, well, how do, how do we deal with this? Well, how do we, we deal with this, this conflict? Sometimes, uh, before we go on, sometimes we think, matter of fact, the, the, the spiritually sensitive person, overly spiritually sensitive person will think that I should have a, a wrong thought. Or if they do have these wrong thoughts or they feel this pull and this tug in the flesh, they'll, they'll, they'll worry and they'll say, is, is, am I really a believer? Because I want you to notice, it doesn't say that we will no longer be bothered by the flesh. The reality is part of the normal Christian life is realizing that you and I will be in the battle with the flesh until the day we either die or Christ comes back and takes us home. The normal Christian life is what I like what John Piper describes, is a Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. That's the Christian life. We will deal with these fleshly battles, but we don't deal with them on our own. We are the presence of God in us. Now look at verse 17. Verse 17 explains this conflict a little bit more. It says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. You ever felt that? You feel that opposition? We have a battle going on inside. It's kind of like this. It's a, the flesh is like the defensive unit of a football team whose only goal is to kill the offensive team's progress. Matter of fact, uh, the football commentators will often say a penalty or a great play by the defense killed the offensive team's drive towards the goal line. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to, he wants to utilize the flesh to get us from executing the offensive life, the Christian life, by killing us, and putting us off course by the flesh. But here's the deal. But when you and I stop trying to run our own plays and depend on our own schemes and start resting in and depending upon the plans and the plays of the Holy Spirit and actual, his actual empowerment, we can begin to go down the field and reach the goal. Now, the deeds of the flesh are, are listed in verses 19 through 20. I'm not going to go through all of these. But I've often, in some of my counseling, particularly with marriage, marital couples who can't get along or argue or have difficulties, who argue in front of me sometimes. You didn't realize that happened, but I've been in meetings where two couples are arguing in front of me. I, I want to act in the flesh. Tell them, to, tell them some things in the flesh that I can't. That's when I go to this passage here in Galatians chapter 5. Sometimes I'll even open them up and I'll, I'll either read it or I'll have them read it. And then when I, as they're reading down, particularly when they get to verse 20, they'll, they'll be reading this. Uh, and they're saying the things of the flesh. 
They'll say enmities and quarrels and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger. Disputes and dissensions and factions and envying. And then I'll pause there and I'll, and I'll say, does, does that describe your marriage? Unless they're lying, all right? And then I point out another area of the flesh. They sheepishly go, yeah, that's us. And then I'll stop them and I'll say, listen, you have a lot of, I'm sure there's other issues and things that need to be dealt with. Communication needs to be dealt with. All these other things need to be dealt with. But at the heart of your issue, at the heart of your issue, is that you're not walking by the spirits. And I'm telling you, and then I'll, then I'll drop them down to this. I'll drop down to verse 22. And I'll say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I'll stop and I'll say, do you want some of that in your marriage? Would that help your marriage? And I'll say, yes. I'll tell them that stop walking according to the flesh and walk by the Spirit. I'm telling you, a many a marriage would be utterly transformed and changed if both spouses would just seek daily to not walk and respond in their own flesh, but would walk according to the Spirit in utter dependence, utter dependence upon the Spirit. So how, how do we walk by the Spirit? Well, look at verse 16 with me again. It says, but I say walk by the Spirit. To, to, to walk, to a command here, we're commanded to do this. It's not the idea that we simply let go and let God. There's a choice that must be made. A command denotes that a choice must be made. That you can either follow the command or you can ignore the command or disobey the command. In essence, that you and I have to make a choice to choose to walk by the Holy Spirit. And look, it's, it, the command is continuous, so it's not a, a one time I make this choice to walk by the Spirit, but it's something that we continuously do, is making a choice to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so what does this look like? What does this look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like what I did this morning looks like I get up at 6.05, I went and made coffee, I went and I sat down on my red chair in my room, and knowing what the day that I have ahead of me, the things that I know to do, I need to do, it's me stopping and saying, Lord, you've got to empower me to walk by your spirit. You've got to manifest your fruit in me. You've got to give me wisdom. You've got to guide me. Give me words to say. Lord, empower me. Or it's this. It's just, you probably, some of you may have heard this illustration before, but it's one I, I use because it's so vivid in my mind. Uh, a few years back, was I was leaving Walmart, and I was coming out, and I was on Imperial Drive, about to turn left on Hewitt Drive. For some reason, I was angry at my wife. And if any of you know my wife, you're probably acting in the flesh right now because you think, how could you be angry at your 
I actually had some one lady told me after the first service that I, if, if I was in the flesh, I'd hit you right now. Because how could you be upset at Elizabeth? All right? Well, I can, okay? And by the way, she walks in the flesh too. As lovely as she is. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I don't even remember I was angry, but he convicted me that what I was, the way I was thinking, my attitude was, is that it was sinful. So I began to pray there. I don't remember what exactly I prayed, but praying to the Lord that you would work in me to put off this anger. To not go home and respond in this. By the way, when I get angry, I'm not a yeller or a shouter either as Elizabeth. We're, we're pouters, all right? Any of you guys in here? When you get angry, you kind of you pout. You kind of sulk. And you just kind of say words under your breath. We do that, all right, when we walk in the flesh. And so I pray that, and I remember turning left on Hewitt Drive and making my way back to Bonham. And from that point there, I remember that Lord just changed my attitude and my thoughts and my behavior. And not to say I wasn't angry anymore, but that when I went in, I changed how I, I was responding to Elizabeth. That's walking by the Spirit. It's prayerfully depending upon Him. Not to act in your own feelings, but even in the midst of not even feeling like praying, you do it because you know you need the Holy Spirit to live out the Christian life. There's a second thing. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18 says this, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To be led by someone denotes submission. That is, that as part of walking by the Spirit is, 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 is that we must submit ourselves to obey. That is, when the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and He's showing us and He's pointing us out truth, that we say, you know what, I, I will submit to your way. And guess what, I, always, I don't always feel like submitting to the Lord's way. But it's realizing I need Him, that I will, because I want to walk by Him, I will submit myself to Him. And hence, hence, there's where the problem lies. Because the problem lies is that we want to be in authority, don't we? We want to be in charge. We want to do it our way. But James 1.8 says this, A double-minded man is unstable in his ways. That is, we, we, we want to walk the Christian life, but we want to do it our own way. If you, do, if you think that way, you're unstable. Matter of fact, there was a young lady that I was, I was counseling, and she was relaying her life and the decisions that she had made in her life. And she was actually still living in a bad decision. And as we talked, I, I asked her, I said, How's that working out for you? She responded to me, it's not working out well. And I said, well, why don't you start doing this? Instead of walking in your way, why don't you start doing it God's way and walking in His and depending upon Him? Because her ways were unstable. And I can only say that, and I can only say that to her because I myself have been in such ways where I didn't want to do it the Lord's way. I wanted to do it my way. And it was unstable. But the reality is when I turn around and I submit myself to the Lord and follow His ways, even though the road might be bumpy, I still have, I'm still stable. I'm still secure. And notice something else that it says in here. Notice it says this. If you are led by the Spirit. Notice it doesn't say directed by the Spirit, but led by the Spirit. There's a, there's a world of difference in that. There's a difference between leading and just directing. 
Imagine with me that you were someplace and you were lost and you asked for directions. And as you're asking for directions, they say, well, here, here's what you do. All right, you go down to the street, and when you, when you see the big bush, the one where part of it's dry, you turn right there, okay? And then as you go down that street, and when you see the, the, the building with the smudge on the door, you turn a left there, and then as you go up there, the place will be on your right. Now, how, how secure would you feel in that? But there's a difference when someone says, and they come to you, and, hey, I need help, and they say, well, here, here follow me. I will show you where to go. And so they walk with you and take you right where you go. And, and the point is, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He doesn't just give us, God just doesn't give us directions here and say, hey, here's what my word says, do it. Here's what he does instead. He says, that here's what my word says, and I'm with you in order that you might be able to do it. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He goes with us. He's there to, to convict us when we sin. He's there to guide us to think through truth and point us on the way that we should go. And He's there to enable us and empower us to do so. That's pretty awesome news. But here's another point in walking out by the Spirit. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 5-6. through 6. The third thing is that you must set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, 5-6 says this, for those who are according to the flesh, that is, those who are walking in the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. But the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. That is, if you want to walk by the Spirit... You have to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, this is where it gets real convicting, okay? Because when we think about this, we have to begin to ask ourselves, what are the things I fill my mind up with? What are the things I read? What are the, the things that I watch? What are the things I fulfill my mind with most of all? Who are the people that I listen to more? What is it that's filling my mind? Because if your mind is consumed with those things, it is filled with those things, and if they're things of the flesh, guess what's going to come out of you? Flesh. But if you're filling your mind with the truth of God, if you're letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within you, if you're surrounding yourself with people that come along and can encourage you with truth founded in God's Word, going to be able to discern how to better walk by the Spirit. What are the things that you set your mind on? What are the things that you think through? Are the things that, will they pass the test of Philippians 4.8? Philippians 4.8, you can just write that down. It says this, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? If, is it worthy? If, if, if any of these think upon these things, is what Philippians 4 8 says. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And then last, it says this. It says, and look at verse 24 in Galatians 5. It says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now when I read that, well, the first thing that comes off my mind is, when I hear crucified to the flesh, to its passions and desires, I start thinking, I do not feel so 
crucified or dead to the passions and desires of my flesh. What, what is Paul talking about here? How, how am I crucified to that? Well, it's, it's like this. To be crucified in the flesh is to realize that in Jesus Christ, that through his death and burial and resurrection for me and my faith in him, that my life has been radically changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and new things have come. And part of the new thing or new person who has come is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is, before Christ, all I was was I was in the flesh. And what do sinners do best? They sin, right? But now that I'm in Christ, my whole identity and my person has, has, has changed because now the presence of the Holy Spirit has come into me. I am now a saint positionally. And I have the presence of God in me through the Holy Spirit who can empower me to now say no to those things and yes to the things of Christ. And here's how I live this out. So I'm, I'm angry for some sinful reason. And I want to act on that. It's in that moment, instead of feeling like I have to do that, I can say, no, I, I'm, I'm dead to that. I don't have to do that. In fact, many people will tell me that they are so overcome by some sin or habit that they just can't stop. And I will say, no, 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 that's not true. Now you, in and of yourself, you might not be able to stop it. But here's the difference. If you're in Christ, you've been crucified to the old self. That is, you're no longer under the power and the hold of that sin. That you have a new power with you that enables you, that is the Holy Spirit, to say no to those things and to walk in the things of Christ. You're not alone in this. So next time that some temptation comes up to you, the thing that you need to say is say to that temptation, that feel, say, no, I'm dead to that. I don't longer have to, to live to that. The only life I can give to it is what I want to give to it, but I don't have to live to that. I have the Holy Spirit in me. That's how you walk by the Spirit. As I think about walking by the Spirit, my mind is reminded of my father. We used to go to St. Petersburg, Florida, back when I was a young boy. And I loved my dad, and I, I so wanted to be like my dad. I mean, my dad was a policeman, and he carried a gun. I mean, how cool was that? To be like my dad, I could walk around, arrest people, carry a gun. I wanted to be like him. But I remember some, one time on, on St. Peter's Beach, Florida, we were walking along the coast, and as he walked along, and I was trailing behind him, he was walking along, and he was stepping, taking steps in that sand as he went along. I began to, because I wanted to follow him and be in his footsteps, I began to jump and take steps. For every step that he went, I followed it. And that speaks to me of walking by the Spirit. That's me. It's looking at, all right, Lord, what steps are you leading me to follow? And then yielding myself and saying, I'm going to follow in those steps. And knowing that as I take those steps, as I follow in his steps, not only will, will I have direction, but I also know that I have empowerment, that as I take those steps, he's going to empower me and enable me to live the Christian life. My exhortation to you, if there's anything I can ever leave with you, is this. Do not seek to live the Christian life in your own strength and power. 
but live the Christian life by realizing that Christ lives in you and by faith, depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to live the Christian life. Amen. Dear God, we come this morning, we take great joy in the fact that you, Lord, not only do you save us, but Lord, you come to live in us. Lord, you do not live us to live this Christian life in our own strength and power. So, Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, if there's someone here who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today they might come, they might repent of their sins, they might come and talk to one of us, and, and they might learn how it's about putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And then I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that as they go throughout this week, throughout all their Christian life, Lord, that they might endeavor to not to live it according to their own power, but we might depend upon you daily and moment by moment to live out Christ's life in us. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.